Hey everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are diving into an amazing topic tonight that we all need. You are married or plan to be married, you need to listen to this. <laughs> it's kind of important and we're diving into it with our friend. She's, we've been with her, some of you know her already and maybe many of you do not, um, but she's a dear counselor, a sweet woman filled with wisdom and um, we need to listen to what she's going to share with us tonight. So Heather Beer, welcome to our community. Welcome to Wife Like Me. And um, we're so glad to have you. Thanks for spending time with us. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's great to be here. And so why don't you just introduce yourself um, before we dive into our topic tonight? For those of us that don't know you. Yeah. So um, my name is Heather Beer. Um, it's not Bajour. <laughs> <laughs> Some folks say, um, people will say, Bajour, is that French? <laughs> you say, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in group private practice at Valley Christian Counseling Center in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, I've been there. I, I, I was, I left for a little while last year. Now I'm back. And um, I, how many years have I been there? Is this my third? If I hadn't been gone for like 15 months, this would be my 13th year, I think. So um, really love, uh, love that place. So um, I have a husband and two boys and a golden retriever and a bunch of chickens. And um, I never, I grew up in uh, North Central Iowa and I never, ever, ever, ever dreamed that I would be in, um, I'm, like, I'm kind of in rural Minnesota. I'm just like outside of Moorhead and, um, never dreamed that I would be living the, the chicken, crazy chicken lady life and, uh, and loving that. So I really, um, I, I was like, this is a surprise. All my college girlfriends are like, who is this person who loves these chickens? <laughs> so, um, so over the last few years, I have been studying trauma more and more and more because these days you kind of shouldn't be a therapist if you don't have some, some training in that. That's just my personal opinion. Um, and so we're going to talk tonight about what does trauma do to your brain? How do you process that? And how does it show up in your marriage or in your relationships? Yeah, kind of. I mean, like I said, it's a big deal because when we don't understand this, we don't understand why what's happening is happening. Exactly. And then we, we feel like almost paralyzed at what to do with it. And so like, how do you move, move forward when you don't even yeah. know, you can't make sense of even what's going on. Yeah. Um, so it's you either so feel paralyzed or you feel like you're constantly fighting something, whether it's the people around you or like your spouse or significant other um, <clears throat> or your kids, I, I suppose. Um, but yeah, you're either stuck or fight. You know, it's that whole fight or flight thing. Let's talk about that. How does then trauma, since we're diving into it, how does trauma, what does that look like in marriage? How does it show up? How might it? Yeah, well, I think it would be probably most helpful to to step back just a, a few steps and just talk about what trauma is. And I mean, I think we can all, you know, give just a basic definition of trauma. Like it's it's witnessing or experiencing yourself something kind of big and awful. Um, but there's actually two types of trauma. That type that I just described, you know, like a school shooting or some sort of natural disaster, or you witnessed a family member like have some sort of horrible medical event or a death or something like that. Um, those types of things would be big T traumas where it's like a, a big event, something happens kind of like once, maybe twice. And uh, those things can easily, easily cause flashbacks, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, all of that stuff. Um, but what I think is even more prevalent is the little t traumas. And those things are like having been bullied as a kid when you were growing up. Um, or you know, maybe growing up in a, a dysfunctional enough home that you kind of like got your physical needs met, but not your emotional or, you know, like those types of, you didn't get emotional needs met or like that emotional connection with your parents. There's some form of some trauma in that simply because it was a long lasting type of thing. Um, so that little T trauma thing could be, um, you know, honestly, it could be living through a pandemic. 
um, which I kind of think we all have a little uh, PTSD diagnosis right now, just after the, the past few years. Um, so the, the little T things are going to be impactful, but they're either going to be things that went over the like maybe smaller events, but they happened frequently and over a longer period of time um, in 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 comparison then to like the, the big T where it's like, Oh, I was in a bus crash that like rolled down a mountain or I guess it doesn't even have to be like it rolled down a mountain. I mean, just, you could just be in a bus crash and that would be traumatic enough. Um, so it can be something you've witnessed or something that has happened to you and, um, or that you have learned about like a close, like say your close relative or best friend or, you know, your spouse or something had something really awful happen to them and you learn about that. There's something traumatizing about that too. Um, so all of this stuff and certainly childhood sexual abuse, any sort of grooming, any sort of um, physical abuse of any kind, all, absolutely. And 100% of course falls into uh, the trauma category, even if it only happened once. Mm. I want to be real clear about that. Um, we can have, I'm, I just want to throw that out there. We can have church trauma and um, and like legalistic religion trauma type of stuff too. So actually I deal with that quite a bit in my practice. It's something um, as strange as this sounds, I actually kind of um, love working with that stuff um, because I think it's so important. So, um, so what happens in trauma then is that the normal information processing system that our brain naturally goes through the way that our, that God wired our brains to work through the things that happens, the things that happen to us, um, it gets plugged or, or stopped up or it just gets stuck. I think of, I like to give the example of like, if you're, if your brain is just normally processing things along, um, do you remember the, the movie and now I'm going to blank on the name because I'm I'm live. I'm going to blank right now. Um, it was the little girl from Minnesota and she, it was the five emotions and they all had different colors and they ran her brain. Um, oh, that's one word. What's it? Um, I'll, I'll, we'll figure it out. It'll, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, <clears throat> inside out. That's it. Oh, two words. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Inside Out, the movie, um, if, if any of you have seen it, which you probably have, um, there, there were some scenes where the memories were these little colorful balls that they, they called memories um, were stored in these shelves. And I remember her running by them, you know, in her in the in the in her mind, I guess she was in her brain and um, or the I guess it was the emotions that were in her brain. That's what it was. And um and they were neatly, neatly stored and filed away. And it was like, doo, 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 yep, these are fine. And you can access them and all, all of that. So I feel like that's a really sweet and cute example of what like normal information processing systems look like in your brain. Your brain just processes the information and files it away, processes the information and files it away. And you can recall it, you can put it away, you can kind of make choices about that. But with trauma, if you think of those, those those memory balls, if you want to call them that, the, with that, it's almost like they get stuck, like a like clogging a toilet or something. They don't go through the normal information processing systems. This information, this you know, the memory of the event happening, they get stuck, and that is because it is a highly emotionally charged event, and because of that high emotional charge, our brain doing what God you know designed it to do um, kind of goes on like. Flight, well, fight or flight mode, it goes into like survival mode. And we'll do just a little bit of uh, brain anatomy here. Um, but way tucked way in the back of our uh, brain mass is a lovely little uh, almond shape almond-shaped piece of our brain called the amygdala. You've probably heard of it. Um, amygdala is the Greek word for almond, um, which I think is kind of fun. But that, that amygdala is totally based like it, it stores memories completely based on emotion. So if you are experiencing something today that is really upsetting and it feels like something that happened 5, 10, 20 years ago, your, your amygdala is referencing a memory that has is only attached to feeling. It is not attached to time and space. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, it doesn't realize that this thing happened 20 years ago and that you are literally actually safe right now. It just feels your, your, your amygdala feels the, or it recognizes that, that familiar feeling. Okay. This feels scary and unsafe 
and awful, or like it could be awful, just like that thing did 20 years ago, except your brain might not know because like I said, it's not, it's not connected to time or space that you're safe right now. And you're actually not in any danger. So you may experience some of those like kind of like PTSD symptoms, like you want to freeze or you want to fight against something. And, um, and that's just your amygdala being an amygdala. um, But it probably means that there's some unprocessed trauma back there. And so what happens then is once that amygdala gets lit up, it just kind of takes over the rest of the brain. Your brain gets so flooded with the chemicals and the hormones and all of the stuff that happen in those really highly emotionally charged moments that are the the front part, the prefrontal cortex, where all of our like decision making capability and like reasoning and like, okay, so if I if I do this, uh, this bad thing could happen. So maybe I won't do it type of thing. Um, we're able to, you know, make informed decisions from there. And that's why, you know, they say full maturity doesn't reach or people don't reach full maturity until like 27, 28 these days. Um, because that prefrontal cortex just doesn't get fully developed until then. Um, so the the amygdala freaks out the the all of the hormones like basically turn off your prefrontal cortex. So you can't like think your way out of a cardboard box at this point. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that's when the survival mechanisms of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn um, all come into, can come into play at that point. We can't really like reason with that, that mm-hmm. moment reason with our amygdala. We can't like talk ourselves out of it in that moment because it feels like that awful thing that happened. So if you've ever heard of that, uh, the phrase, like I flipped my lid, like, like, that's a really good analogy for what happens. Like, you know, so Mm -hmm. if, if you think of the brain, like if our, oh, I'm getting in front of the camera, because if this is our amygdala inside our brain, and the amygdala gets charged in there, it goes, whoop, (laughs) kind of flips the lid, and then it like totally blocks out the prefrontal cortex. And then we're just kind of like a deer in headlights. It's kind of like that type of thing. So I wanted, go ahead. I just have a question. So like, when I hear you say that, what I hear you saying really is that all my problems in our marriage are, (laughs) no, but for real, Um, like it took me a really long time and I'm still working on essentially like what you just described, except for, I feel like it's associated with, um, um, like the, the little traumas, right? Like the little T traumas in my life where it wasn't like this oh my land, no one could like say, well, although there were some maybe big ones in there, but whatever. Sure. Um, like my, my, um, I've heard it used that the path there, like we have pathways to pain. And so like, for me, it might not look like, oh, that thing is unsafe or what you just said feels unsafe. But for me, it like something, like something small, seemingly small could like, it's almost like there's a pathway associated with these little things today. There is. That lead me straight to that result. Like that, that negative thing that, because I have that, I already have that pathway there. Mm -hmm. That's been so like paved out in the past that that's the first place I go. So even if it's not a big thing and I don't externally flip my lid inside, I'm like, absolutely flipping my lid like oh that's what that meant oh that's where he went that's why I'm not good enough or fill in the blank you know right um yeah so that sucks (laughs) (laughs) it does suck (laughs) but you know it's taken me a long time and I'm still like recognizing these things that absolutely whoa that my my association with this is so strong that that's the first message I'm believing or the first place I go, or it's so important that we begin like learning this. Um, anyway, keep whatever, I don't know, I don't know if you remember. Yeah, no, that's really good. And honestly, like that's a really good word for it. It's pathway because what you're describing is a neuropathway. And I talk about, um, I talk about neuropathways with clients because, um, when people are stuck in negative patterns of thinking, which are often from especially like little T traumas, um, you know, like if you got bullied as a kid or if you had a parent who was just kind of always naggy or, or you know, like kind of picked on you or whatever, like that those things stay in there. Um, <clears throat> and so those neural pathways 
we now know can be changed. Like that's the beauty of like how God made our brain. And that's called neuroplasticity. Our brains are shapeable and moldable. And maybe you've had folks talk about that um, before, but I just think it's amazing. Like we know this now, we didn't know this a number of years ago. And so literally I think of a neuro pathway, like, you know, if you take your kid to the park and the, the regular pathways are like the sidewalks, well, then like, you know, you can create your own pathway through the grass because it's a shortcut, you know, like there's always a couple of those because it's like, oh, you want to go straight to the swings and not down the down this way to the slide first or whatever. And so literally you have to choose when you notice yourself thinking those negative thoughts or like, you know, something that feels like that icky thing that you mentioned um, to notice because that's the first challenge, like because most of those thoughts come so unbidden, they just like happen, you know. It's just like right there. So I didn't, I didn't ask for that. I didn't think it like even of my own accord. Like I, like, it's just, it's so natural, but that's what a neural pathway is. It's just a natural path of thinking. And Um, and, (laughs) I'm like, duh. But what you just were talking about is like that it's a social, like the amygdala is feeling. So like, for me, it's not, I don't notice that I'm thinking something. Typically I notice that I'm feeling something. Yeah, or yes. I'm even thinking anything, I feel something. Yep. Then I'm able to even think about what it was that I've been even thinking, but I'm like, For I'm sure. feeling something first. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I think that's especially common for women to to notice the feeling before the thought. I think that's really normal. Yep. So after you notice and you're like, whoa. I don't want to go down that negative path. You get to choose then to go down a different path. And so I like to say that, you know, when we choose enough times not to go down that old path, the grass grows back in, you know, and it doesn't look like a path anymore. And, you know, maybe you travel down it every so often, but it's not something that, you know, is just so automatic. And so we do have a lot of choice, but, but when there is truly trauma associated with those things, um, then we need to do probably a little bit more to get that, uh, the whole, that neuro pathway kind of mended up. Mm -hmm. Um, and talk about that a little bit more too, but I wanted to talk about like what, what trauma is and how it affects us so that it makes a little bit of sense then like how we get triggered with our spouses or how, you know, like different things kind of make us flip our lid. Yeah. So like, and thank you, Sean, for taking women, please take your friends, share this with them because you don't know who this is going to help. But what about like, what does it look like? Or because obviously you're working with couples, they're coming into you uh, to see you. And I'm, I'd bet that most of the time they don't even know that what's causing that is associated with some type of trauma. For sure. What like, um, you know, if you're going to go into the ER to see the doctor, you're going to say, these are my symptoms. I'm dizzy. I'm, I have a fever or whatever. What are the typical, are there typical things that kind of usually play out for couples? Well, I don't know that there are typical things like across the board, but there will be typical things per couple. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times, um, you know, I'll kind of hear like the highlights of the things that they get stuck on or whatever. And then I'll ask like, okay, so, so when he says or does this, what does that, you know, like, what does that feel like inside of you? And has that feeling ever happened before? And so oftentimes, I mean, people, people are, 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 often aware, you know, uh, of this stuff. And they'll be like, well, yeah, it does feel like this blah, 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 you know, that happened back in seventh grade or, or something like that. And I think that it can sound even a little bit cliche, like, oh, you know, here's some childhood trauma, you know, some wounds to just like mess with you, but it's just the truth. It's just yeah. how it goes. And, um, you know, and if, and if, if people want to, want to poo poo it or whatever, they sh- certainly can, but like, it's, it's just, this is fact. This is, this is how, this is what happens. This is how couples get stuck. Um, I, I, I will even, even like personality differences and stuff like that. I'll watch people who grew up in like vastly different homes and be like real, you know, you know how opposites attract that whole thing. But then a lot of those deep, deeply ingrained in, 
ingrained personality differences can sometimes be based on, you know, like the way we were raised and different traumas and things like that. And then they start to rub mm-hmm. against each other and it just almost becomes, <clears throat> excuse me, like um, another one of those neuropathways. And it's like, we just kind of do mm-hmm. this thing over and over and over and over and over. And over. Yeah. It's just like maddening. Wow. It's almost just like it, it becomes like how they're even interacting. Mm-hmm. Like the pathway is just their even basic interactions can be. Yeah. And then right. Um, so I think uh, maybe, maybe I'll share just a little story from my own life. Um, so I grew up uh, in a uh, very talkative, very, you know, very open communicative, communicative family. <clears throat> My goodness, I'm oh, you're good. Excuse me. Um, and my mom um, was and is, I guess you could say, um, I guess you would call her a people pleaser, probably like another more clinical term for that would be codependent. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad is pretty outspoken. Um, I wouldn't say he's like, I mean, he's not going to go like pick a fight with somebody. That's not him at all. But um, he's, uh, you know, he's going to get involved um, in the conversation that he's in and, you know, give his opinion and say things like that, whereas my mom might not be that person. And um, and so I got used to this pattern and I didn't even know it. I got mm-hmm. used to this pattern of my my dad would tease my mom mm-hmm. and it would be, I mean, in many ways, pretty benign, but then it could get a little like kind of not nice. Um, and she just kind of took it. And I watched this thing happen and this, this dynamic, and I'm not trying to throw my dad under the bus or anything like this. Like we've had conversations about this. It's, you know, it's not something that's like, Oh, dad, whatever. But, um, but I grew up with this like subtle um, relational style where mm-hmm. I thought, and I can articulate this now, I wouldn't have been, art- been able to uh, probably 25 years ago, <clears throat> but um, you know, like, women got picked on women mm-hmm. like it was like well you know if 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 the husband says something kind of icky about the the wife like she really doesn't have a leg to stand on and she just has to take it well I wasn't about to do that so I would get immediately like defensive if my husband would tease me about something and as an only child I don't do teasing well anyway and so of course my husband has to be like a middle child and be like the instigator of all the things um and so like that was that was a huge thing for us though and you know is it related to trauma I I don't know there's some dysfunctional relating in there I mean we can call it you know, like some relational trauma, I suppose. Um, But I think it gives a good example of like, I was used to this pattern of relating. And so when I experienced it in my marriage, I fought against it hard. Mm -hmm. I was like, I am not going to be made fun of or teased or anything like that because I'm not less than you. And I'm, you know, all these associations that I'd made in my mind about what that must mean. I mean, none of this were ever said out loud. Um, heavens my my father's uh mother was a phd teaching in, in college in the 1940s i mean my my, my dad is a, like totally respects women for some reason yeah. he just kind of picked on his wife yeah. um so you know it's just none of these things were said out loud but it was just like i made the association well if if a man picks on a woman that must mean she's less than and i was like ain't no way i'm doing that so then, then my husband and i would get into these like because i would think he was constantly picking on me um yeah. and then i would be defensive and you know, defensiveness just that doesn't go anywhere in a relationship. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't breed good things, and so we struggled for a number of years early on. Yeah, and finally we're able to we were able to work through that. But boy, that's oh, just weird. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that example because it makes me, um, or it, I think it helps us see that it's not always. Um, how do I say this? it's almost like you had been hardwired to be hypersensitive to like yeah. not going down that path. Like, no, I will not be that almost. It's like, right. Right. I mean, I've experienced that as well, where it's just a high, I, I have the way I've explained it to myself and my husband is like, I feel like I'm a bit, and he helped me see this, like hi, almost hypersensitive to certain things mm-hmm. simply because like, I re- do not want you know, that at all, or like to be a part of us or like, yeah, you know, it's almost like we develop this way of relating to our spouses when we are just trying to avoid certain things or, you know, like protect ourselves from even the hint of something, you know, and 
And, and I think it's, it's helpful, you know, to, for at least my husband, when he said, Amanda, um, you know, he's made statements like, I don't think that was outside the range of appropriate or yeah. Like, you know, like he's like, I don't think I said anything that, you know, uh, should result in the reaction you just gave me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so offended. Yeah, I'm even more. No. But like, it is true that it's not is that we are going to some negative thing. It can almost be like a protection thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Or, but I, yeah, that's why I liked that example. So that's yep, for sure. Cool. Yeah. Um. So then, how about okay? When we're triggered in marriage, you said. Is the same process like what you would say to do? You said to notice it, to choose to go down a different path, right? Those are the two things. Is that is that how in marriage, when we notice we're triggered, when we're feeling like or something, then we can notice it and choose to be like, okay, that's maybe not true. Maybe this isn't appropriate given what he just said or did or is that is that how you help couples move forward? That's, or that's one way. Yes, that's one way. Because there is something really sweet about <clears throat> folks who can even just uh, begin to understand that, you know, that the they and their spouse, like, it's not that there's something like totally wrong or dysfunctional or whatever, but there's, there's just a very basic reaction that ha- is happening inside the brain. And it's like, not, not really anybody's fault, at least not anybody in the room, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so that also helps to be able to sort of put the problem outside of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if both people are compassionate people, which I, you know, I hope they are, that's not always the case, you know, sometimes like say if it's the woman who gets triggered by whatever, you know, if, you know, like he'll even, uh, I've seen men, you know, like, Hey, like, Hey, like, like, is this one of those things, you know, did I just trigger you with, you know, and just like offer something to sort of like stop that it, it interrupts kind of the, the, the ro- what's the, the snowball effect or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. kind of interrupts the process. And for, for him to be able to say, Hey, did, is, is this one of those times where you feel, you know, like things are just going out of control, you know, whatever the thing is, um, you know, if she's not able to, I mean, that's pretty huge. I think that's really yeah. you know, generous. Yeah. But, but the, the, even, even more so, um, you know, when there's like truly, truly unresolved trauma from the past, um, they're going to need more than, than just these kind of like, uh, 101, you know, types of things. And, um, because, you know, truly trauma, you know, is, it causes us to have trust issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, and we te- also often tend to, when we have unresolved trauma, we often uh, sort of f- gravitate towards folks who poke that trauma mm. because there's this sort of subtle uh, brain thing going on underneath the surface that says, I want to work out all of my childhood issues on my in my marriage so that I can feel clear and resolved and whatever. And so we all kind of have this desire to, we all kind of get attracted to something that was like wrong in our lives um, mm. that because we want to fix it. And so that's why a lot of times, um, you know, like say women who have been in uh, sexually abusive, uh, you know, childhood sexual trauma and things like that will end up with like sexually demanding husbands and, you know, different things mm-hmm. like that. And then feel like obligation sex. I'm thinking Sheila Gregoire right now. And um, <clears throat> it's just weird how those things just kind of, um, it's almost like uh, we wear um, little tags on us that say, hi, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And hi, I'm a narcissist or, you know, whatever. And let's get together. Um, It's just, it's, it's weird how, how common those types of dynamics are. And it's not just that either, you know, that was just one kind of stereotypical Mm -hmm. one. Um, But so trust issues, sorry, I'm kind of going off rabbit trail here. Um, Plus there's just mood disorders. You know, when you've got unresolved trauma in your life, it causes anxiety and depression and flashbacks and sleeplessness and all of the things, you know, maybe it messes with our appetite. Maybe it messes with our, um, even like our ability to sleep at all. Maybe it, you know, there's, there's so many different things um, that trauma can do. Maybe we have uh, really horrible nightmares. Maybe, you know, I don't know what, you know, uh, trauma and, and certain memories, they can be triggered by anything. It could be triggered by a smell, by a sight, a building, a, a tree. I don't, you know, like there's just anything that sort of like, is like, boom, 
my brain yeah. sees it. There it is. Oh, ah, you know, and then it's just, yeah. it can go off and spiral. Um, And so like the, those triggered reactions then, you know, like say, um, say there was um, a, you know, someone was uh, locked or, or held hostage in, in a, in a store or something with their mom and their brother when they were a kid. And, and maybe there was some certain smell that happened in there, you know, so they could be just going through life and here's that smell, you know, maybe it was target where they used to have popcorn in the store or something, you know, like they used to pop popcorn, maybe any time they smell popcorn, you know, it's one of those things. Um, But then when those triggers happen, then we have these big, strong reactions. And then when we have those big, strong reactions, then we butt heads with our, spouse or our kids or whoever's kind of triggered us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to need more than just kind of those cognitive behavioral things that I mentioned earlier. Um, we're going to need some, some like good body integrated stuff. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with EMDR. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan. Um, I, I got trained um, a little over a year ago. I'm super glad to be able to offer EMDR. If you don't know what EMDR is, it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And what it does is it, um, the kind of the initial way that it was discovered was um, through like the eye movements back and forth activates the two hemispheres of the brain, which then just kind of opens up that information processing system that I talked about earlier. And that way those stuck uh, memories can start to be freed up, then they can kind of be, you know, filed away or whatever. Now, is that something that just happens in like one session of EMDR? Well, occasionally, you know, but oftentimes it's, it's several. Um, and depending on the level of trauma, it could be, you know, probably a, a couple months worth, um, yeah. but it's not something that takes like forever and ever and ever, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Um, so I'm super excited to be able to offer that. There are other forms of like, a, it's a, what is it called? Um, accelerated resolution therapy or res, uh, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on it. It's ART is what it's, is, is the, the acronym. And um, uh, there's another gal at Valley Christian Counseling Center that offers that Christian Charbonneau. And although I know you've got folks, not just from around here, you've got folks all over the place here, but um and so that's really what can help resolve some of that icky old stuff that just kind of lingers around. Um, other things include, honestly, yoga. Yoga is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that yoga is one of the most effective, like non-clinical forms of treatment for trauma. Wow. I know, right? Isn't that amazing? Um, and I know a lot, you know, some folks in the Christian world have um, some opinions about that, you know, each to his own. but. Um, I've heard so many experts talk about this. There's also Christ-centered yoga. Yes. Hello. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And any way you can get your body involved at the time, because what happens when we go into like those triggers or those those flashbacks or whatever, um, is we're so stuck in our heads with the memories of things. It's almost like we're disconnected from our bodies. Mm -hmm. So they call it top down. What if we can get down into our bodies in those moments and get reconnected, then that helps us to sort of integrate and move through and calm you know, if we even just learning some great like relaxation te- techniques, I often talk to folks about progressive relaxation in terms of mm-hmm. like laying in bed at night if they can't sleep, you know, just like tightening the muscles in the feet, feeling, you know, holding it for five seconds, feeling what that those tight feet, you know, the muscles feel like, and then releasing, feeling what that feels like. And then the next row of or the next group of muscles, so like the calf muscles. So then, you know, squeezing those calf muscles as much as you can hold for five seconds and release the the calf muscles feel what it feels like to be relaxed and released move up to the thighs move you know you progressively you know move up get to the top of your head and then go right back down if you're still awake um and so it's just ways of getting our 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 body to kind of chill out at the same time to to relax because when we're in a relaxed body it means we will then have a relaxed mind you actually cannot qualify for a diagnosis of PTSD when all of the muscles in your body are relaxed. Wow. I know, right? I took a training to become a certified trauma clinician this um, past fall. And that was one of the things this guy kept saying over and over again, when we are in trauma, we tense. And that mm-hmm. actually, you know, like we, we hold our breath, we close our, you know, whatever the thing is, we, we clench our fists or we tense up, whatever that, you know, think about a car accident, you know, um, 
And that actually helps solidify the trauma and keep it stuck when the muscles are all tense. And so learning to relax, learning to let things move. Um, Another thing is uh, if you can find an OT or a PT who does myofascial release, Mm -hmm. um, it's like I have a gal that I go to and it's like magic. It's so good. Um, Myofascial release, specifically uh, John F. Barnes uh, form Mm -hmm. of myofascial release, but there's lots of folks around the country who do that too. Um, And it just helps to move stuff around the body and get things relaxed and loosened up and yeah that's so good so I'm thinking that there's okay there's like people with us watching right now and I'm just punching like throwing it out there I'm guessing like if you're here watching you're invested you're kind of curious about like what are they talking about what can I do as a wife like am I triggered by certain things that my husband does or that happen to me or situations or whatever you might also be thinking after listening to Heather you might be thinking okay, I'm pretty sure my husband has some stuff. Okay. Obviously, if you talk to him about that, he might be very um, willing to go to a counselor for whatever therapy they might suggest, right? Um, What do you suggest for the wives who are married to husbands that are either like in denial that they've got some sort of you know, they're whatever the situation is, they're completely defensive about things. They're unwilling to <clears throat> stuff They're They get angry easily at certain situations, whatever that, whatever that looks like in their marriage, if they're unwilling to like dig into that issue, what would you say to that wife? Well, first of all, I feel like that response sort of like solidifies the fact that there's probably trauma back there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and also I just want to say, I empathize deeply with you. Um, not only was there a period of time when I experienced that in my marriage, um, that and, and it was just one of just uh, the absolutely most maddening um, things I've probably ever experienced. Um, but also, I just work with a lot of folks who, and I, I hate to say say it, but stereotypically, it's the guy. Um, does it is it the women's woman sometimes? Yeah, sure, but like more stereotypically. Um, let me throw a book uh, recommendation out there. This fellow is not a Christian therapist, but he is phenomenal. Uh, his name is Terrence Real, and it's spelled like real, like the real every R-E-A-L, sorry. Um, and he's a marriage and family therapist in Boston. And the book is called I Don't Want to Talk About It. And uh, it's like, un- I think the subtitle is like Uncovering the Secret Legacy of Male Depression. And so I feel like, um, that's just, that, that was a, that was a game changer in my practice and in my own, in my own marriage, because, um, gosh, I think especially around here in the upper Midwest, like there's so many folks who came from, you know, farm families, you know, with these like stoic Scandinavian backgrounds or you pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever. That's, you know, like the phrase we all say. And, um, and it's just like, no emotions were ever tended to. There wasn't, you know, it was just like work, work, work. Um, I just see that so much. Um, and even like, even like almost a legalism, about emotions like oh I don't want to compliment my kids they might get a big head or something like that um wouldn't want to think want them to think too too highly of themselves or whatever and um yeah so I just see a lot of really I almost want to see like sad um situations where oftentimes men just haven't been equipped to even understand what's going on inside of them yeah. And it's, that is just, excuse me, devastating to me yeah. um, because it's, it, it's, it, we, there's so much out there. There are so many resources now. There's so much, I mean, we know so much more than we did 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, but what would I say? So, so first of all, there's that, that book and it, it's specifically depression, but I think if you've got a, a husband who has some trauma history, he's going to have most likely have depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and men, depression in men looks really different than depression in women. If you look at like the diagnostic and statistical manual, the way that we, the thing, big old honker that we use to diagnose folks, the, the, the diagnostic criteria for, for, for depression, um, is largely based on women. 
Whereas, which is really strange because, you know, most of the other criteria in the world for medical issues is based on men. But um, it's really interesting that, you know, because men wouldn't, didn't really go and get attention, you know, they wouldn't go to the doctor or whatever, you know, traditionally speaking for that. So um, I feel like there's probably a lot of undiagnosed depressed guys um, running around out there and they're going to look like workaholics, alcoholics, rageaholics, um, mm. uh checking out on whether it's, you know, gaming or uh, even just phones, um, sitting in front of the TV with the phone in front of their face, you know, or maybe just like out in, out in the shop all the time, out in the, where, you know, the man cave, whatever. Um, Detached. Yep. Not present. Um, That's just one of those, one of those things that breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, I mean, there is help. And so I think you have to approach this from a really um, compassionate and oftentimes really factual place. Yeah. Um, I, some, I feel like oftentimes men will respond better to, you know, like, hey, I heard some statistics about blah, blah, blah the other day. And she described what this was like. And it sounds like you and you seem like I'm, I'm kind of worried about you, you know, and, you know, that type of thing. I think if you come from a place of like just really sincere compassion, um, that's probably going to be your best bet rather than um, anger, which is probably happening anyway. You know, like if you're if you've got um, just a really bottled up guy, you're probably angry, too, which you know, it's understandable. Um, so, so compassion, like, um, there was a point, uh, in my marriage where I had to ask my husband, um, to be treated for, for, for clinical depression. And I just looked at him and I said, I need you to do something. I can't live like this anymore. And, and you have got to be miserable. And, and then finally, when I said, you have got to like, you're miserable. He's like, yeah, yeah, I am. And so, you know, you just have to, there's something about if, if they detect any sort of like, this is just Heather's opinion here. um, But if there's any detection of judgment or like, or she knows better, you know, like that type of thing, I feel like that is oftentimes a turnoff, but. It doesn't maybe um, like, like you say that compassion understanding of like, not only like, I'm not coming at you to fix you this or like stop or. Exactly. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, yes, I'm, I see that you're hurting. I see that you're not enjoying this or that you're, that makes my heart break. And yes, exactly. One, another thing is, you know, sometimes we need to kind of gather some information before we present it to them. And by information, I mean, information about them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like there was a point where my husband had stopped taking his antidepressants for a while. And I had noticed he just was extra checked out and like just kind of, extra crabby and whatever. And then I realized like the whole container was like still full of his meds. And I was like, Hey, so, you know, I, I see this, I see that your meds, you, it looks like you haven't been taking your meds, but also like, you just don't seem like yourself. You, you seem extra crabby, extra, whatever, because I'd been noticing, you know, like it wasn't just like one day I was like, Oh, you know, you just seem yeah. crabby. Today. It's more like, no, this is, this has been going on for a while. Yeah. 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 That's so or, helpful. And the kids notice, you know, like sometimes if you throw one of those into in there too, you know, if the kids notice. Yeah. <laughs> You're so funny. Um, but for real though, like that, that's a thing. Um, and yeah, that's really helpful because there is, it's not an easy thing. Like we can get on here, we can talk about things and reality is some of us might be married to someone who that doesn't work for them or that approach. It's not that simple or. Yeah. Or whatever, there might be other things going on behind the scenes. You're like, that didn't work for me or whatever. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, again, like we are always here at A Wife Like Me, always encouraging counseling all the time. Um, I still go to a counselor because I need it. You um, do. <laughs> yeah. And, and so if at the very least, you can go. Like at the very least, you can go to learn just like what we're talking yeah. about. Like, how should I deal with this? What should I like? What? what do I do, you know, um, yeah. to help like nav, have someone so wise help you navigate through that, through prayer and processing and, and all the things. So, um, 
Absolutely. You know, maybe there's, there, maybe there's more healthy boundaries that you need to draw. Um, You know, if there's, if there's a case, if you're in a situation where things are um, even dangerous, um, even dangerous emotionally, you know, like I think that there are times when a separation is a very healthy thing. And I, I don't typically think of separation as a stepping stone towards divorce. I see a uh, separation as very much can be used as a very healthy tool for reconciliation yeah. if it's done right. And if it's yeah. done well and sort of like executed judiciously, you know, like yeah. with certain goals and time limits and things yeah. like that. Yes. It, I've seen that as well. And um, I've seen it really turn hearts back to the Lord and each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yes, and that too is so like, like a counselor will help you navigate all of that. So yeah. um, I have a little podcast too. Um, I don't know if that if that was clear on the website, but um, I haven't done anything with it for a. I don't know, maybe a year and a half. I've got about 12 little episodes out there, but it was, it's super fun. And I I do want to get back to it someday, but it's called, if I'm honest and it's Mm -hmm. all about emotional honesty. And like, um, I mean, there's a bunch of different topics like about codependency and, you know, how do you, how do you reconnect with a spouse when you've just been in a season of disconnection and, um, and, and even just like, uh, how do you deal with your feelings about God? You know, how, how do you deal with like, if you have negative, negative feelings towards God and things like that with, you know, emotional honesty in that direction. So it's on, um, Apple podcasts and all the other places you can find. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, yeah, just thank you. Like, this is so needed. And if you're watching, I encourage you again, like take a friend or share this with them. The whole, everything we do again, I said this earlier today. We get comments, emails um, from wives and almost every single time they'll say a friend sent this to me, a friend shared this with me, a friend tagged me or whatever. That's how you help someone else's marriage and you have no idea who needs it. So um, all of Heather's resources are there. If you are in North Dakota, are you licensed in Minnesota or North Dakota? Mm-hmm. Both. Minnesota, North Dakota, um, you can get in at Valley Christian. And again, just that's all on her website. She speaks as well. Correct. Yep. Um, So you can bring her in. If you have a church retreat, gathering workplace, mental health issues. I mean, she's your gal. So check that out at her website. Um, I wanted to offer a couple book resources too, and I'm afraid it's going to be backward. Oh, is it backwards? It's not. I don't think. Oh, well, look at that. Okay. So this is probably like the number one, um, kind of like this is the go-to book these days is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. If you ever get a chance to listen to him talk, he's fantastic. He's Danish. Danish? Yeah, Danish. And he's probably, I don't know, 70 or 75 or something like that and swears like a sailor. And he's just... A- <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and so you can, you can, he's got stuff on YouTube and whatever. But then um, another one, this is just a gold standard, Waking the Tiger, wow. Healing Trauma by Peter Levine. This has been around for, for a while. And he's got several, Peter Levine has several books, um, trauma, trauma related books. And there's getting to be more and more good ones out there. It's, this is a good time to be alive, to deal with all of the yuck. And like you say, I was just listening to a podcast about the trauma of COVID and, and that we don't even realize like the trauma we've had. It's and like the, the result for so many of us is like, we don't, which is also fascinating, which we should totally talk about sometime is that like for a lot of churches and, 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 um, this is not on topic, but it kind of is pastors will say like, you just need to get back into church and blah, 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 blah. Right. And although it's like super well intended, um, many people are like literally so like the result for them is that I can't, I literally like do not have the capacity to be people or to show up. And so they are being fed at home. It's just that like, we have to grow in compassion. Like in in this season for what people have been and are going through on top of, I mean, you, you add that trauma on top of whatever else they were already dealing with. Exactly. It's just, there's so much room to grow and, um, yeah, I love how you said that. We just need to grow in compassion. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff that used to work or or even like sort of seemed to work uh, yeah. that probably didn't anyway. Uh, but it just it just isn't, you know, things are just different now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, 
Heather, thank you so much. Um, before you. we say goodbye, would you mind praying over the wives and marriages that will watch and are watching? Yeah, I would love to. Father, I, I lift up the the women that either are or will be listening um, to this conversation and and any other conversation that Amanda's having in her ministry. And Lord, I pray for the the relationships um, that are behind those women. Um, I'm thankful that you are the knower of all things and know their situations deeply and intimately that you see, that you're the God who sees them and that there's really nothing that you miss, even though sometimes it can feel like it. And so in those moments, God, um, if it feels like they're being missed by a, um, by a spouse, um, by a significant other, um, may they find that you don't miss them. You see them, that, that you are there and you meet them and that you protect them, that you uphold them with your righteous right hand. And Lord, I pray that that trust could grow, <clears throat> not only with you, but also with others where healing takes place from um, past issues, past traumas. May there be, uh, may there be help for, for husbands who need it. Uh, may there be open hearts um, when, when a wife needs to say something to a husband. May there be a chance um, for him to hear, even if she doesn't think he will. Um, would you be working and healing? Because that's who you are. Um, you're the the healer and the restorer of all things, and there is a there is redemption um, in every icky circumstance. And so I pray that over these ladies, over their marriages, their families, and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Heather. We appreciate you and your wisdom and your time pouring into us. And ladies, thank you so much for being with us. Um, our freebie, free resources to uh, marriage resources are linked and um, you can find everything at a wife like me.com or podcast as well. Um, book. So thank you for being a part of our community. We'll be back on Sunday with Jennifer Taylor Wagner. I don't know if you know who she is yet, Heather, but she's phenomenal. Awesome. Um, yeah. Your good body is her book. Uh, oh, it's awesome. But anyway, I'll um, see you Sunday for that. Um, thanks for being with us again, ladies. Love you all. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Have a good night. Friend, have you ever thought about starting a podcast? If so, Spotify's got a platform that lets you make and start a podcast so easily and then distribute it everywhere and even earn some money. It's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. And then you can distribute it wherever podcasts are heard. Even video podcasts are available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. But best of all, it's totally free and there's no catch. Ever since we've been using Spotify for Podcasters at A Wife Like Me, we've been able to triple our reach, reaching wives across the globe. And it's so simple. Again, we do this right from our computer. And again, you can do it from your phone. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or just go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters. Again, www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started.